0: Uh, Let me pray. Our gracious Lord certainly can be tempted uh, to be distracted with me and with what I'm trying to say. I am grateful for my friends here and and the way that they come alongside me and work alongside uh, me in this gospel endeavor. For Blake and John and for the Irby's and the Akers, for Bailey, the Smiths, many others who gratefully and graciously Uh, serve not only the church and the city, but they serve ultimately You. Thank You for that. Let us not be distracted now by various things, especially my own words, but let us draw near to the truth that we might discern from Your Word that which is true and good, that we might continue in this fight against the enemy. Amen. We've been studying the book of Ephesians and we find ourselves at the heart of chapter 6. Chapter 6, particularly verses 10 through verse 20, is a portion of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus that is known as the whole armor of God. A very famous passage on spiritual warfare. This morning our text will focus primarily on verses 14 and 15, but before we focus in on verses 14 and 15, I thought it good to read the entirety of the passage of, that is, the whole armor of God. And so if you have a Bible, you can go to verse 10 in chapter 6. If you're not, just listen and lean in, and then we'll really dive into verses 14 and 15, and then you can follow along with what's printed in your bulletin. But here's the Word of God, starting in chapter 6, verse 10 of the book or letter to the as I ought to speak. This might come as a shock to you. Um, I don't know how to deal with tools. I applied for a Home Depot card this week, and, uh, well, I didn't get it. It's it's not because I had bad credit. That's another story. But in truth, I have to buy tools. You see, my kids are getting older, and things are getting more expensive, and that means i got to get rid of certain things that are really expensive, like a lawn care company and like a cleaning service and things like that. And being a house owner, you, things fall apart. Everyone who has owned a home knows that things fall apart. And how do you fix things that fall apart? And how do you cut grass that needs to be cut? You buy tools. And I don't know how to use them. Jigsaw, jigma jabber whatever, I don't know. A rotary girder cut that mash. I don't know what that is. And so when I walk into Home Depot, I'm very very overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm doing. If I'm going to fix what I need to fix, if I'm going to cut what I need to cut, I need the tools to do those things. And I'm in trouble. I set that up because when we come to spiritual warfare, Paul is very clear that we have been given armor to fight this battle. Lots of armor. In fact, there are seven pieces of armor to fight the very battle that God says we are in. And yet, like me in Home Depot, overwhelmed with how to use a tool, so oftentimes are we. And we put these pieces of armor to the side or we neglect to use them in the fight, rather leaning on our own strength, on our own wisdom, on our own ability to fight the spiritual battle against Satan and his schemes. And unfortunately, many of us are unable... To fight this battle, Paul says, Here's here's the reason why you have all of these pieces of armor, so that you might stand. And we said last week that standing is the very thing that a soldier does. If they want to fight, a soldier must stand. And so, as Christians, we're called to stand, to be effective soldiers against Satan and his schemes. And in order for us to stand, we need armor. And many of us are not standing. We're on the ground, barely getting by. But we must stand. We are reminded of this, the importance of this standing right in verse 14. If you see verse 14, you see that the very first words of verse 14 are, Stand therefore. Stand. Meaning, okay, I want you to stand. And then following these words, he says, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. If we're going to stand, we need to take up the very armor that God has given us. Just like if I'm going to fix the the things that my house needs fixing, I need the tools. And so we need to learn how it is we are to use the very armor that God has given to us that we might stand. And that is what we're going to do this morning. Of course, we're only going to look at the three uh, pieces of armor that we have been given in verses 14 and 15. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and what I'm calling the readiness shoes. So we're going to study this that you might be able to use them effectively and stand. So first... The belt of truth. You see this. The first thing that Paul commands us to put on in this fight against Satan is this. Fasten on the belt of truth. The belt of truth is a misleading um, piece of armor to our ears. In many ways, our ears hear belt of truth, armor. doesn't make sense. A belt is not really a piece of armor. And while certainly this seems to be the case on the surface, we need to dive deep and really kind of understand what Paul is referring to in this particular situation. In Paul's mind, he has a Roman soldier in his view. And when he says belt of truth, he's thinking of a Roman soldier and the very equipment that a Roman soldier would use. And the belt of truth on a Roman soldier was more than likely the most important piece of of the entire armor he would put on. I mean, before putting on all his armor, his helmet, his breastplate, his shin guards, the Roman soldier would take this belt of truth and cover his entire body. You see, this belt of truth was, was not just a you know like belt, but like an apron that would go over the chest, the midsection, and even the upper legs. It was a thick piece of leather To guard against sword swipes. Spears going in. And it would go underneath the breastplate. It was to provide protection from small things. But in many ways, it was the foundation of all armor. Some of you guys might like football. I assume all of you like football. I don't know if you do. But in football, you will see something very similar in the football players. They will wear this shirt underneath their pads that is oftentimes give an extra padding underneath it. It's actually where where the company Under Armour finds its inspiration. It's usually a sweat wicking, but it's got padding in it. And that's where Under Armour, the company, comes from because it's Under Armour under the pads. This is what the belt of truth was for a Roman soldier. It was armor that went underneath the armor. It was the foundation for all of the armor. Therefore, the belt of truth is the foundation of all of God's armor. And there is good reason that the belt of truth is the armor that we first must put on. And why Paul mentions it first. I think this is the case because of this. The primary scheme that Satan will use against God's people is this. Deception and lies. Jesus said of Satan, He is a liar and the father of lies. Therefore, because Satan is a liar, we need to have at the foundation of our armor, truth. Think about Satan and how he has communicated in all of Scripture. We first encounter him in the book of Genesis when he is deceiving Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he is deceiving them with clever lies. Of course, we know that they fall to His clever lies. But He does this throughout. He did this with Jesus as He walked in the wilderness for 40 days trying to deceive Jesus with lies. And He also does this to you. Satan will lie to you. He will lie to you about the character of God. He will lie to you about the goodness of God. He will lie to you about the sovereignty and the power and the grace and the love of God. There is nothing that Satan wants to do more than you than to get you deceived about who God is. Satan will lie to you about God's Word, its sufficiency, its trustworthiness, its content. He will lie to you about the church, its people, its practices, its trustworthiness. He will lie. And He will even lie to you about who you are. He will love to lie to you telling you that you're better than you really are. He will lie to you telling you that you are worse than you are. He, will love, he loves to lie to you that you will always be alone. He loves to lie and tell you it's always going to be hard on you. In many ways, these lies go undetected for us. Because not only is a liar, he's a deceiver. I love what one pastor says about Satan. Satan doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh. He leaves lies in your heart. Because Satan leaves lies in your heart. We need a solid foundation of truth. We need the belt of truth on us. I've told this story before, but I think it's a perfect illustration of how I need the belt of truth in my own life. In seminary, I had to do this creative project that I wasn't necessarily excited about, though I was excited to not have to write a paper, which I so often had to do. In this project, I had to lay on the floor and have someone trace my body outline And and, and then, once I had my body drawn on this large piece of paper, I had to go to different aspects of my body and and write different things. So, for example, this is what I did when I went to my fingers. I wrote small on my fingers. You see, I'm very self-conscious of my fingers. I have very small fingers. You can come up and look at them. If you want to know how it works itself out, when I play golf, I have to wear a woman's Size medium large glove. Not a large glove, a medium large glove. See, I'm self-conscious of this. I'm a man, I'm not a woman, but I have to wear women's gloves. So, So this is what I wrote. So I wrote small on the fingertips. But that's not where I focused most of my attention in this project. There were three areas on the my body that I focused my attention. I focused on my hands, my heart, and my mind. You see, on the hands, what I did is I I started drawing lion's fur on my hands. And then when I went to my heart, I, I drew a heart, and I actually colored it silver. And then on my head, I drew straw coming out of it. I was really into the Wizard of Oz at the time, if that's what you're wondering. You see, I related very much to the three prominent characters, the lion, the tin man, and the scarecrow. And I was saying, this is how I view my hands, like the lion. I feel like I am very fearful of any conflict. I am very fearful of anything that comes at me. And then when I went to my heart, I said, I feel like I don't love very well, like the tin man. And then I got to my head and I said, I feel like I'm an idiot. Now, one of the things that was difficult about this project is that I had to then present why I did what I did, just like I'm presenting to you now amongst my peers and my teacher. And I don't really recall what was said to me about when I said talking about the hands or my heart, but I do remember when I started talking about my mind, what happened. I began to discuss how I felt like I don't, I'm not very smart. And I very vividly remember my teacher stopping me mid-sentence and said, Stop. She said, what's your GPA, Dan? And I stopped there. You see, my GPA was a 3.7. Anyone who makes a 3.7, for those that don't know, you're not a fool. You're smart. And she, with those words, and she made me say a 3.7, and then she gave me one of these snarky stares like, "Mm mm-hmm. And you think you're dumb. See, I had believed the lie that I was dumb. Oh, certainly I had compared myself to my friends who went to schools like University of North Carolina and Furman, these real brainiac schools and things like that. I compared myself to them. And to them, I'm not that smart or studious or academic. But I was smart. And it took someone being able to communicate me an objective truth about who I am to wake me up to the lies that Satan was telling me about my mind. Here's why I tell you that story. There are so many lies that you believe about God, the church, His people, His Word, and about yourself that are not true. And Paul says, put on God's belt of truth that you might have an objective reality to stand against those lies. What is the objective truth that we have been given as a people of God? It is simply put, the Word of God. God's Word is our objective truth. Like my teacher listening to me and confronting the lies of my own heart, so is God's Word to us. And we must, we must take note of this. His truth comes to us In His Word. And we must take up His Word. In His Word we learn about the objective truth about God, who He is and what He has done for us. In God's Word we learn about who we are and about our condition. In God's Word we learn how we are to truly live God-honoring lives. You see, in taking up God's truth, we are fastening ourselves with the truth that enables us to objectively fight against Satan's deception and his lies. Therefore, it is vitally important that we read God's Word. Let me ask you, have you ever read the Bible in its entirety? As Christians, we are people of God's Word. Therefore, we need to read God's Word. I think it's important um, for those of you that are I, I, like I'm not trying to like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm just telling you, read God's Word. It is the very thing that enables you to fight Satan's lies. One of the things that I tried to um, move out into our church, and, and I realize there's many other ways, but this is just a really helpful way for us, is to do the CBR. On that back table, there's a little journal, and grab one if you don't have one. But it is simply a way for you to be in God's Word, to read God's Word, to pray God's Word, to get God's Word in your heart to put on the belt of truth. And certainly we read God's Word, we need to study God's Word because certainly it is a document, or it's not a document it's a, it's a book written many years ago and so there's ways that we need to understand it. That's what's going on downstairs at 9.30 is John and Blake are helping the church learn how to study it and understand it. You know, if we're going to stand strong in this objective truth of God's Word, we need to understand how to understand it. And that's what we do. We want to study God's Word so that we might better use it. The last thing I want to encourage you to do with God's Word is to memorize God's Word. You see, memorizing God's Word places His truth deep in our hearts. And the words that are deep in our hearts are the ones that can be summoned the moment that Satan whispers his lies in your heart. God doesn't love you. No. God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. You're so pathetic. Prepare to be condemned by God. He is, after all, just. No. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You think God would ever welcome you? No. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I live by faith, I live in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. When we memorize God's Word, it gets put into our hearts and we're immediately able to confront the lies of Satan with the objective truth of God's Word. Therefore, we memorize it. It's not something that we, we you know put a little pain on our chest like this guy's memorized a hundred verses in this year. No! It is simply there so that you might combat the lies of Satan. So I encourage you memorize God's word. Satan's lies come at you. Therefore we need to put on the belt of truth so that we might stand. That's the first piece of armor. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness Stand therefore, Paul says in verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate, many of us know, was a large piece of armor that protected the upper body, particularly the heart, from fatal blows. One blow to the heart, we all know, and we come down to the ground and our life is over. And thinking of this breastplate in spiritual terms as Paul did, Paul chose the word righteousness to be placed on the breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness is the very thing that protects your heart and mine from Satan's dangerous blows. Make no mistake, Satan wants to render you useless, lifeless. And so he will aim for your heart. And the very thing we must place over our heart is the righteousness of God. The word righteousness is a word that we think we know. And it's a word that is used throughout the Bible and thrown around at church. It's a, it's a Christianese word. But we must stop... And not make an assumption on what, what our understanding of righteousness is. And don't worry, I'm not saying something that's not profound. I just simply want to increase your appreciation for what righteousness is. In the Old Testament, there are two words that the Hebrew writers used for righteousness Sedek and Dakah. Sedek and Dakah. These words were always used in the context of a relationship, either between God and man or between man. And man, Therefore, Sedeq and Dekah, righteousness, is a relational term. It's a relational term that d- indicates an action that conforms to the requirements of the relationship. In the Bible, this relationship between God and man, and between man and man, is called a covenant. Therefore, when two parties conform to the agreements of a covenant, they are both deemed Righteous. When one, one conforms to the covenant, principles and stipulations, that person's determined as righteous. Or, if they fail, unrighteous. And the Old Testament is always quick to indicate that God Himself is righteous in His actions towards His covenant with man. He's always faithful to it and diligent to follow through His promises that have been established. And because of this, God Himself is praised and worshipped As righteous. The New Testament word for righteousness, dikaiusene, focuses more on the conformity of human to the demands and the obligations of the will of God. Said differently, righteousness is viewed from the perspective of the human relationship to the covenant established with God. And the question for us goes this. Does man conform to the covenant that has been established between God and man? Is man righteous? And the New Testament gives two answers to this question. The first one. The first one is this. That we are not righteous. That we have not followed the very covenant relationship that God has established with us. For those of you that are curious, what's the covenant relationship established between God and man? It's a long story. It's a big thing. But if you want to understand how it gets played out, just think of the Ten Commandments. For these are the very laws that God required for this relationship between God and man. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourselves. If you want to understand what that is, that is God's command to obey and follow the covenant. And the question for us is have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and have you loved your neighbor as yourselves? And what does the New Testament say? (laughs) You probably already know it yourself. I haven't done that. In fact, it goes so far. Paul says this in Romans three, and he's quoting the psalmist. What does he say in Romans three, verse eleven? None is righteous. No, not one. Let me tell you something. You do not want to cross the King of the Universe. You don't want to commit cosmic treason to the relationship that He established, to the law required for this relationship. For in disobeying, in committing cosmic treason, He has every right to justly punish you. And the just punishment of God should indeed strike fear in all of our hearts. For He has the power to condemn to hell. I just want to ask very quickly are you righteous according to the stipulations of the covenant of God? It is my hope to convince you, as the New Testament convinces all of us, is that you say, no, I'm not righteous. Because when you come to that, we come to the second way the New Testament talks about righteousness. And the second way that the New Testament talks about righteousness is not a righteousness that you have earned. But it is a righteousness of God that has been given to you freely. And given to you freely by faith. If we think about this for a moment, the righteousness of God imputed to us, as the church fathers like to say, is this, that we have been credited with the right relationship required to be in relationship with God. That we have followed the stipulations and the law that God has required to be in relationship with Him. That there is a perfect fulfillment of the covenant and therefore we can be in a harmonious covenant relationship with God. And this is not by our own work, but it is by God's grace. Earned by Christ. This most notably is found following Paul's statement of Romans 3. And it is this. Listen now to verse 21 of chapter 3 of Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. To those who believe the New Testament says, to those who believe and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, Paul says, you are now righteous. You are righteous. You are righteous. It is not a righteousness of your own, but it is a righteousness that has been earned by Christ. And given to you by Christ. And it now forms your new identity. Why do you think the breastplate of righteousness is over your heart? We often say the heart is an identity marker. This is my heart. I give you my heart. It's like I give you my identity. And this is what it is as Christians. We are now righteous. Not a righteousness of our own, what we've done. But it is a righteousness given to us by God. And earned by Christ This is our new identity. And with the breastplate of righteousness being put on our chest, we are able to avoid Satan's aims and his arrows to trip us up and kill us. And make no mistake, he wants to. And he will do this by questioning our identity. By putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we say, no. No, you're wrong. I am righteous. It's not my own. But it's given to me by God. You can't touch me. A few years ago, Kimberly went to a conference for Pastors' Wives. And at this conference, a lady um, during one of her sessions handed out a gift. And the gift was a judge's gavel. And she had all the women have this gavel, and I looked for it around the house because I wanted to bring it to you today. I couldn't find it. But she says, I want you to take this gavel. And the reason I want you to take this gavel because Satan is going to try and drag you back into the courtroom to condemn you for your unrighteousness. (coughs) You sinned against God, he's gonna pay you back. She says, No, I want you to take this gavel to be to remember that the court has already issued its decree to those who believe, and this woman's assuming that all the women in the crowd believe, it's finished. The judgment has already been rendered on Christ. And you yourself are righteous. My friends, if you believe this is the same for you, if you look to Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you throw your life and dependence on Him for your relationship with God, you are declared righteous. And there is nothing that Satan can do to convince you otherwise. So, my friends, put on that breastplate of righteousness. He can't touch your heart because your heart is owned by God and your heart has been declared righteous. This, indeed, is the second piece of armor. It follows the belt of truth which forms the foundation. And finally, we come to the third piece of armor, the readiness shoes. Paul says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now perhaps like me, you find verse 15 to sound very strange. I mean, if anything, this sounds more like Yoda. As shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, that was a terrible Yoda. I was trying to bring some laughter and comedy, guys. Like, I'm lighten up here. <laughs> but indeed, what is Paul saying with this verse? What's this piece of God's armor that Paul wants us to use? I want to give you my Jedi interpretation of it, okay? Put on the readiness shoes given to you by the gospel of peace. Put on your readiness shoes given to you by the gospel of peace. Think with me for a moment. Without shoes, a soldier is at a distinct disadvantage. Imagine, as a soldier, having to run into a newly, freshly broken down wall and having to go into the city through this wall without shoes. Inevitably, as you cross this wall, you will step on sharp shards. And they can be the tiniest of little shards, the tiniest little nails. But if you're wearing nothing but your bare feet or not wearing shoes at all that small little shard of glass or debris can render a very 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 powerful soldier absolutely useless and so indeed it's not surprised to us that paul says all right there is an important piece of armor it's your shoes and especially when we consider the fact that he's told us to stand 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 well if i'm going to stand i need shoes Imagine work I mean for those of you that have worked in restaurants you're on your feet all the time if you don't have good shoes you're going to have problems it's important to have good shoes so that we can stand and this is the shoes that we have been given but what kind of shoes have we received we have received readiness shoes readiness shoes what in the world are readiness shoes Readiness shoes, allegorically speaking, are like a new pair of running shoes. They're light, comfortable, and strong. They not only have the ability to help us run over the debris of the battlefield, but they help us to move forward with the mission that God has given us. These shoes are shoes that make you ready to fight against Satan and his schemes. We must see, though, that these readiness shoes were given to us by the gospel of peace. And here, I believe, Paul includes this so that we understand the type of battles that the shoes, or the, the type of uh, 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 um, defense that the shoes provide to us. What do the, What is the gospel of peace, and, and the gospel of peace that gives us these shoes have anything to do with Satan's schemes? And it is this. Satan is going to try to tempt you or to trip you up giving sharp little glasses by calling into question the gospel of peace. Saying things like God still hates you. God dislikes how you are. God is going to dismiss you. He's not going to take care of you. He's going to bring all sorts of bad problems in you. And the readiness shoes allow us to step on these lies. No, we say. We have the gospel of peace that has been established by Christ. It is a gospel of peace that Paul has already talked about in his letter to the Ephesians. Listen to what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, and this is Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. As Christians, we have peace with God through Christ. And it is Satan's task to try to disrupt that peace by stirring up all sorts of disgusting and bad lies like a soldier stepping on a shot of glass he knows that if he can introduce into your mind the idea that there is hostility that still exists between a Christian and God that he can render you worthless like Paul like me, like all Christians, we are going to face sharp Debris, lies that introduced to you the hostility that could exist between God. And make no mistake, there is hostility between God and those who are not made right with Him. But for a Christian, there is peace. And so we put on the readiness shoes. The readiness shoes that enable us to confide these lies and bring the Gospel to our neighbor. So, my friends, put on the readiness shoes given by the gospel of peace. If you were to go to Home Depot on Saturdays, you will notice that they have classes even at Home Depot. And those classes are for ignorant people like myself who have no idea how to use rotary girder tools that can cut wood in a very specific way. And they'll help you learn how to use those tools. And they'll enable you to do the very thing that you need to do for your house. Fix it. Well, like the Home Depot classes offered on Saturday mornings, so is Paul's letter to us in our fight against the schemes of the devil. We've been given these wonderful tools, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the readiness shoes to fight the very things Satan wants us to do. To trip us up. And to cause us to sit. And in learning about all of these pieces of armor, it is my hope that each of you might be able to stand. Might be able to do the very thing God has called you to do. So my friends, having learned of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the readiness shoes given to us by the Gospel of Peace, take them up. Put them on and stand. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we give thanks to You for offering us these pieces of armor that we might be able to withstand the attacks and the schemes of Satan. I am reminded through Your Word primarily that Satan seeks to trip us up with the lies in our hearts. And so, Lord, may we by faith take up the belt of truth and put it on. May we take up the breastplate of righteousness and wear it proudly. And may we put on the shoes given to us by the gospel of peace that we might not just stand, but that we might run, pushing back the very kingdom of Satan that so hurts so many people. Lord, may we be diligent to do this and bring glory and honor to your name. Amen.